The following audio is from a sermon series on the book of Colossians entitled, Jesus Over Everything. For more information about Sacred City Church, please visit sacredcitychurch.com. Hear the word of the Lord from the book of Colossians chapter 1, verses 24 through 29. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I become a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. I'm going to pray for us. Um, If you don't know, my name is Justin, and I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, this week, I am part-time epidemiologist. Um, like all of us probably, trying to do our best to figure out what's going on in our world. Um, Let me pray for us. Father, we invite your presence here. We um, thank you for the gift to come together as your body, to hear a word that isn't in doubt The words that we hear most these days are all speculation, and um, we can really be moved by them, but your word is eternal. Your word cuts through all the noise, and it speaks directly to our heart, and uh, because it's from you, a good God speaking to your people. And so I pray that this morning we would hear the voice of God from your word, and you would cut through all of the noise, cut through all of the um, stuff that's going on around us and speak the word that we need to hear in our soul. That you would speak to your people and you would use me to do that, Father. You would think through my mind and speak to my vocal cords. Um, you do this for your glory and our good. <clears throat> in Jesus' name, amen. Well, this has been a crazy week, hasn't it? Can we just break the ice there? Uh, I know that many of you are deeply disturbed, wondering what life is going to be lo- going to look like and uh, going to feel like in the next few weeks. Uh, I am too. However, we cannot give in to fear. We cannot forget who is sitting on the throne of the universe right now, sitting in the control room of the universe. But it's easy um, to forget about that. And it's not easy to keep, you know, what we've been preaching week in and week out now for the last few months in Colossians, that Jesus is over everything. It's not easy to keep that in mind when we are being inundated with updates and reports and hot takes from every media outlet imaginable, right? But have you seen this? But have you seen this article? But have you seen this one? Have you heard from this expert? 
Have you seen this picture of what's going on in this place? All of these reports vacillate somewhere between, oh, it's no big deal. We've been doing this forever. And we're all going to die. No doubt, the truth is somewhere in the middle, probably a mixture of those two. We are in a scary situation for sure. This pandemic is threatening our entire way of life, our health, our economy, our comfort, our relationships, our community, even our freedom to go where we want to go and do what we want to do. All of that is being threatened in a severe way by a microscopic bug. A virus. Sometimes we forget what it feels like to be this vulnerable. But this is the nature of being human. We are finite creatures at risk of death every single day. We do our best to push that out of our minds as often as possible, but God in his sovereign goodness allows things like the coronavirus into our world to wake us up to reality. And the reality is, if you do not have a vital relationship with Jesus Christ, a bug can take everything from you. It can take your peace of mind, your financial security, and even possibly your life. C.S. Lewis, one of my favorite Christian thinkers and writers, was asked by a media interviewer during World War II. He was there in World War II, and you know, under uh, you know the, the bomb, the, the raid, the sirens were going off constantly as they were being bombarded by the Germans. And an interviewer asked him, "What would he think if the Germans got the atom bomb?" dropped it on England and he looked up and he could see it falling right on top of him. He said, if you only had time for one last thought, what would it be? Lewis replied that he would look up at the bomb, stick out his tongue at it and say, "Pooh, you're only a bomb. I'm an immortal soul. See, Lewis was a Christian. The fact of Lewis, so intelligent, saying the word poo, just... I, <laughs> Had to use that today. See, Lewis was a Christian. He knew and believed the life-altering message of Jesus Christ, and that gave him both hope and joy in the midst of a difficult and uncertain time. He didn't lose his personality. And it's my hope that we could search the message of Jesus today and find some hope and joy ourselves in the midst of our own current struggle in time of difficulty. Now, in the providence of God, we are not taking a week out of our normally scheduled program here at Sacred City. We are going to be continuing our study right through the book of Colossians today, picking up right where we left off last week. And what we are going to see is that God is indeed sovereign and he knows exactly what we need. When, when I planned this sermon a year ago and dated it all out and broke it all down, this text on this date, God knew exactly what he wanted us to hear this day. 
right? He wasn't going, no, no, Justin, no, no, right? Pandemic's going to hit. Let's do a special one that day. He works it out. God works it out in all things. And thankfully, what we're going to hear today is not a more thorough (laughs) hand-washing instructional, right? Anybody else? Hands feel just like raw, right? right? It's not more rules to follow. It's not more things to fear. No, this morning, we're reminded of what's truly important. We're reminded of the core message of our ministry, of all ministry, the core message of it, Paul says it like this. Him we proclaim. Paul says the entire message of his ministry is summed up in him, Jesus. The person and work of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. I want you to think about this morning. Many people think the message of Christianity is basically be a good person so you won't go to hell. It's a message in all different forms that that takes all different forms that piles all kinds of rules, all kinds of do's and don'ts and lists on a person, and these rules and morals begin to place a lot of weight on anyone who accepts it. They're always wondering, am I good enough? No matter how moral and how good we are, we constantly fail and fall short and then wonder, oh no, did I just screw everything up? Is God mad at me now? Even though, even the simple instruction to all of us to wash our hands, we should all do that. But we realize how impossible this is, right? You wash your hands, and then what? What do I do with my hands? Touch my phone, ruined. Oh, Oh, no, right? Touch my kids, ruined. Touch my steering wheel, ruined, right? Oh, all we gotta do is wash our hands every second of the day. Listen, that's not the message of Christianity. That's the message of capital R, religion. It's basically this. I obey, therefore I'm accepted by God. I follow the rules and things go well for me. That's not the message of Christianity. Look specifically with me at chapter one, verse 28, how Paul describes the message of his ministry. He says this, him we proclaim. Jesus Christ, the goal of Paul's ministry was to proclaim Jesus, not a bunch of rules. This is what makes Christianity different from every other religion in the world. Christianity is primarily about Jesus. It's about who Jesus is, not just some dude who lived a long time ago, but the very son of God. It's about how Jesus lived his life, that his entire life, he obeyed God perfectly. He never sinned like we do. He never fell short like we do. He never failed to love God and love others like we do. 
He was the perfect man because he was the God-man. The message that we proclaim, him we proclaim, it's about what Jesus did in his life and what Jesus did in his death on the cross. That he died on the cross in our place for our sins. And then what Jesus did in the tomb, that in the tomb, he was really dead. He was there all Saturday. And then what happened? Then he's resurrected to new life. He beats death to never die again. Jesus proved that he was indeed the son of God. He was indeed sinless. He indeed accomplished our salvation totally and perfectly once and for all for us by beating and conquering death and being exalted to the right hand of God the Father. See, the message of Jesus is totally different from the message of religion. Religion says, I obey, therefore I'm accepted by God. The gospel of Jesus says, I am accepted by God only because Jesus obeyed perfectly in my place. That Jesus' work made me acceptable to God. Therefore, the most important message of Christianity is the person and work of Jesus. So when we gather together, the thing that we proclaim is a person. It's Jesus. It's not, here's what you need to do to fix your life. Here's what you need to do to have a better marriage. Here's what you need to do to have better kids. Here's what you need to do to be more successful, right? We're not coming together today to say, here's what we need to do to beat the coronavirus. When a preacher gets up into a pulpit or when Christians gather together, there should be one foundational thing that's central to every single gathering. Him we proclaim. So I ask you this morning, what do you think of the life and work of Jesus? Do you see his life and his death and his resurrection and his salvation accomplishing work as soul riveting, beautiful, enrapturing? Do you see it as the most personal and loving and intimate thing anyone has ever done for you? Does it punch you in the gut and at the same time lift you up into the heavens? At the same time you go, he died for me? He took my sins upon him? Why? Why would he do that? But at the same time it lifts you up in the heavens and go, thank you for this gift of salvation that I could never earn on my own. See, this is the gospel. Jesus obeyed God perfectly for you. He took your place and pleased God. Then Jesus takes it a step farther. He not only obeys God in your place, he also takes the punishment that you deserve for all the ways you have sinned against him. See, Jesus took all the wrath of God that you deserve so that you could walk free 
so that your sins could be forgiven and you could be cleansed and God could smile upon you and invite you into eternal life with him. And here's what that means. Because of Jesus, because of Jesus, we know for certain that God is for us. This is Paul's argument in Romans chapter 8. If God is for us, then who can be against us? What could be against us? See, we have already been made right with God. When we put our faith in Jesus Christ, all this is now true of us, that we are forgiven, we are cleansed, we are seen by God as holy, blameless, and above reproach. And just like Jesus, we will now conquer death. We will live forever with Christ. See, that's why C.S. Lewis could stick his tongue out at an atomic bomb. That bomb is only a bomb. Lewis was going to live forever with Jesus. And if that bomb would have killed him, it wouldn't have taken anything from him. In fact, that bomb would have simply made Lewis more real, more like himself, more like Jesus. And you know what? The same is true for us. So that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to, pro we're going to proclaim Jesus. We're going to warn everyone. That's what he's going to say in this next thing. Look at the next verse here. What does that look like to proclaim Jesus? Verse 28. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom. What does it mean? to warn everyone. That word means admonish, rebuke, correct. Anytime you're trying to form a person, trying to instruct a person, there's two ways of formative discipline. One is warning and rebuking. Don't do that. It won't go well for you. Everyone needs this all the time. And then there's corrective discipline. There's, there's, so there's corrective discipline and there's instructive discipline. Discipline. Here's how you do it. If you're teaching somebody how to swing a baseball bat, you say, here's how you do it. And then you give them the bat and they do it perfectly. And then you just go on, right? No. You say, here's how you do it. The kid goes, yeah, I already know that. And this, no, you dropped your elbow. Nope, you did this. Nope, you did that. Nope, don't do that. Don't do that. And you're fine tuning the details by, through correction. The same is true for us. As we're proclaiming Christ, we need warning and we need, so we need correction and we also need Instruction. We want to warn everyone who isn't trusting in Jesus. We want to say, you're going down a wrong path. You're going down a wrong direction. Turn away from that. Turn away from that way and turn to Jesus. That road is going to end in destruction. But the road of Jesus ends an eternal life. Now, here's the, here's the problem. I heard this illustration this week 
I found it um, helpful. Part of warning is having the wisdom to see things. Think of it like this. Sin is like a stick of dynamite. Except some sins have a wick that's about this long. Don't touch the fire. Whatever. Boom, that sin went off, right? It brought destructive consequences immediately. Soon as you disobeyed, stuck your hand in the fire. Boom, it hurt. Ouch, okay, learned my lesson. But here's the reality. Some sins have really long wicks. And we light the fuse. Oh, nothing happened. Nothing bad happened. Nothing bad happened. But wisdom, seeing things from God's perspective, knows, no, 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 it's still going to go off. It's just, it might, that wick might last until your death. But then upon your death, that wick's going to go off and you're going to realize the consequences of the life that you lived apart from God. See, all sin has consequences. All sin's going to bring an explosion. But sometimes the wick's a little bit longer. That pornography habit might not destroy your soul right now, but it might in six months. It might in a year. It might in five years. It might destroy your marriage and every relationship you got. It's got a longer wick than others, but it's still destroying your soul. See, when we're proclaiming Christ, when we're, we're warning people, turn away from that sin, we see it's still gonna blow up. It's still gonna ruin your life. It could still destroy your soul. So we say, turn back to Christ now before it's too late. Secondly, we're going to teach everyone. I wanna teach everyone here this morning, everyone who is trusting in Christ already, how to walk by faith when everyone around us is losing their minds. Let us not forget why we are here this morning. Let us not forget our aim, our goal, our purpose in life. It isn't to get rich and die comfortably as old as we possibly can somewhere on the beach someday. That's not our goal. Look how clear Paul makes our purpose, his purpose and our purpose this morning. Verse 28, him we proclaim, warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. That we may present everyone mature in Christ. Now, mature there, that is an interesting word. Scholars have kind of a lot of difficulty interpreting. Sometimes people interpret it as complete. Some translators have translated it as perfect. ESV translates it as mature, and I think that is the the best translation. The Greek word there is actually teleos, teleos. And it's where the Greeks talk a lot about having a telos or having a goal. New Testament scholar Scott McKnight says it means this. This, He's created his own word. He says this teleos, this mature, it means this, Christoformity. Christoformity. Now, why is it the difficulty? Because when, when, anytime I say 
God wants to make you like Christ. The people that I talk to the most, they, what they, they, they take that and they, they don't understand what that means. They think, oh, God's gonna make me sinless. No, he's not. Well, eventually he will. And the new heavens, and the new earth, but not on this earth. Christoformity does not mean sinless, nor does it mean that you're gonna be like Christ walking around just healing people, right? Walking on water, raising the dead. No. The goal, for, the goal of Christianity is not for you to sin less. Now that is a byproduct of being formed into the image of Christ, of Christoformity. It's a byproduct. It's not the goal. The goal for Christianity is for your life to begin to take the shape of Jesus more and more and more until, Paul says, we present you mature. What does that mean? We're all on a journey towards the face of God. And Paul's goal for ministry was to present his disciples as more like Christ as they walked towards meeting Christ. Now, what does it mean to be more like Christ? You begin to love what he loves. See, if I start talking about sinlessness and, and defeating sin, we immediately just kind of go into legalistic mode. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about loving what Jesus loved first. What did he, Jesus loved God over everything. When it, became, when it was a choice between spending time with God and being needed or healing people or being wanted or teaching or preaching, he chose spending time with God. His primary reason for existing was to glorify God, to enjoy God, to walk with the Father, to be in communion with the Father. He loved the Father. He loved God's law. He loved the scriptures. What else? He loved Mercy. Jesus loved mercy. He loved to meet people who were hurting and broken and give them mercy. The worst of the worst according to the world's standards. Jesus loved justice. In fact, he loved to stand against people who were unjust people who looked moral and looked good and yet felt that they were better than the broken and better than the poor and better than notorious sinners. He liked to stand up to those. Jesus loved compassion. He had compassion for sinners. He suffered with them alongside them, felt the weight of their plight. a man of sorrows. Jesus had integrity though. He, Jesus didn't have the Billy Graham rule. 
He allowed prostitute to walk in and weep over his feet and break the alabaster jar and pour her worship out on him. And that is nothing more than an intimate, awkward setting. Every man in the room would be like, what's he doing? Seems a little inappropriate. Wasn't because he had perfect integrity. Jesus had a love for the lost. See, this is what I'm talking about. As we are being formed into the image of Jesus, that happens internally first. It happens in our heart. It happens in our love. We're not asking, do you go to church? We're not asking, do you obey some rules? We're not asking what you do necessarily with your money or what you do in your own. What do you love? Do you love God? Do you love others? Do you love his word? If not, then you're not growing in maturity. You might not even be a Christian. Our life is formed by our loves. What we love determines the shape of our life. Paul says it in Romans 8 again. He says, for those Jesus or God foreknew, he also predestined to be, listen, conformed to the image of his son. Conformed to the image of his son. What is the goal of Paul's ministry? That everyone who, pro, everyone who proclaims Christ or everyone who accepts Christ as Lord and as Savior is conforming to his image. They're being formed and transformed to take on the nature and the character of Jesus Christ himself. We are as mature as we are like Christ and no more. So it's entirely possible that there's some parents in here who are less spiritually mature than their children. That their teenagers are more mature in Christ than they are. Maturity has nothing to do with age. It has everything to do with, are you being formed into the image of Jesus? Are you loving what he loves? And if you are loving what he loves, then your outward shape is going to begin to change. Your relationships are going to begin to change. The way you spend your money begins to change. The way you treat people that don't have anything to offer you is going to begin to change. The way you treat your neighbors is going to begin to change. But it changes from the inside out. So the goal here, the goal of all ministry, the goal of our life is Christoformity. It's to be, look, here's the goal. For us to be formed into the character of Jesus while we are helping others to be formed into the character of Jesus. 
parents. This is the goal of parenting. It isn't to raise your kids to make more money than you. It's to disciple them into Christ-likeness while we are being discipled into Christ-likeness. This is my job as a pastor to help you grow into Christ-likeness while I am growing into Christ-likeness. What's interesting here too is that this isn't something we can do on our own. You need the person who can look in and go, whoa, I see the wick on that, I see that wick on that thing in your life and it's about to blow up, man. It's gonna blow up down the road. I need to warn you about something, brother. I need to teach you about something, sister. We need community. We need other eyes in, looking in on our life. But most importantly, we need God to work in us through the power of the Holy Spirit. Look how Paul describes his labor to help the Colossians grow in Christ's likeness as he was growing in Christ's likeness. Look at verse 29. <clears throat> For this I toil, struggling. Now, I'm gonna pause right there. First off, look how hard Paul is working. He combines two words here, translated in the ESV as toil and struggle, okay? Now, toil is what you're what you feel in your body after a hard day's work, right? Where it literally feels like your body has taken a beating. If you've ever spent a long day in the sun baling hay or digging a ditch or giving birth, you know what it feels like to toil, to be wrung out. Paul says, Growing into Christ-likeness and helping others grow into Christ-likeness is hard work. It's going to take a lot from you. It's going to wear you out. But then Paul uses another word, this struggle. Struggle is, a, is the word agonizomai in the Greek. You hear that? Agonizomai. It's where we get our word agonize from or agony. The word was used of athletes in the Olympic games who were competing against each other for glory where every muscle and every fiber in their body was screaming to stop, but they kept pushing anyway. Paul says, proclaiming Jesus and making disciples of Jesus takes every Thing I've got. I'm worn out. I'm dog tired. I'm in agony. I feel opposition. I am wrestling and fighting. But here's the key. Here's why Paul didn't give up and throw the towel in. Paul knew the secret to success in life and ministry. Let me say it like this. Paul knew the secret to sustained success in life and ministry. Look at it. Look at this next verse. Oh, look at the rest of that verse. For this I toil, struggling 
with, look, look at this, with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. That word, where am I getting the dynamite? That word powerfully, it literally means, it's dunamis in the Greek. It literally, that's where we get our word dynamite from. He says this, where am I getting, how can I toil? How can I struggle? How can I agonize? How can I work this hard? Well, don't be confused. It is taking all of my might, but it's taking more than my might. It's taking his might that he's powerfully working in me. See, Jesus isn't just a message we proclaim. He's also the one who empowers us for life and gospel ministry when things get difficult. As we proclaim Christ and ask other people to follow us as we follow Christ, we must tap into the energy of Jesus that he powerfully works within us through his Holy Spirit. Listen, church, I don't know what the days and weeks ahead will have for us. But I do know this, our calling hasn't changed. Our calling is to help others know Jesus and grow up in him. I don't know exactly how that's going to look in the days ahead. We might, might not, next week, we might not be able to gather in this large gathering. But I do know this. If you are in Christ, Christ is in you helping you through it. We aren't going to give in to fear. We aren't going to, we are going to keep loving. We're going to keep gathering as missional communities. We're going to keep caring for one another. And we are going to do this with the energy and the encouragement that the spirit of Jesus gives us. And most of the time, if you know this, if you're working out, most of the time before your workout, you don't know how you're going to feel during the workout. Most of the time, we're not walking around going, I'm pretty sure I've consumed 14,000 calories and I have the adequate amount of energy to sustain this next hour of exertion. <laughs> nope, I'm gonna get into it. I'm gonna figure it out when I get into it. The same is true when it comes to relying on the spirit. I don't walk into a situation going, I'm pretty sure I've got everything it takes here. I have no idea, but I know the one in me has plenty of resources. I know the one in me can give me words to say when I don't know what to say, can give me courage to step into a situation when I don't have the courage to step into it. So Christian, now is the time where we need to realize we're on the front line of a spiritual battle and we have the answer the world is looking for and that's Christ in you, the hope of glory. Yeah, I'm just thankful to the Lord. Honestly, I'm gonna miss this gathering if it gets taken away. But you know, what the rest, you know what the rest of my life is going to change? My spiritual life? None of it. Because our life is built around small groups of people, meeting in living rooms, eating meals with one another, sharing the gospel with one another, making disciples who make disciples. 
Let's not get sidetracked. We are here to love God. We are here to love each other. And we are here to invite others into this loving community where they can meet this Jesus who's done so much for us. Now, what I want to do this morning, we're not doing the Lord's Supper. The president has declared today a national day of prayer. And so I want to take some a little bit of an extended amount of time this morning to pray. Can we do that? So I ask that you would pray with me. Pray that my voice holds up. You can hear I'm struggling a little bit. <clears throat> Father, we come before you this morning to do what you tell us to do, and that's come before your throne of grace to seek your mercy, to seek your wisdom, to seek your insight, to seek your blessing, to seek your guidance. Um, we are at your mercy. We are always at your mercy, but we're more aware of that today than we were a few days ago. Father, we want to take this time as, first off, if anyone in here doesn't know you, doesn't, hasn't trusted in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, I pray that through the power of the Spirit, you bring conviction to their heart now and they would cry out to you and say, Father, save me. Jesus, come into me that you'd give them life and you'd give them hope. Maybe they're at home watching this on their computer screen. And even now, Father, you would give them a hope and a joy that nothing in the world can take away. Father, we come before you and we, we pray for the elderly among us and the elderly in our community even one of our members who's in, the, in a retirement community and is on lockdown and who's here week in and week out and is hungry and thirsty for the word of God week in and week out, we pray that you would minister to them now, that you would draw them in by your spirit, that they would hear the gospel and be given hope. They would, they would not be controlled by a spirit of fear, we pray that you would keep them healthy. Protect them. Father, we pray for those in our community, in our church community, in our wider community with compromised immune systems. That's many of us. Those that have had heart transplants, those that have all kinds of immune disorders. We pray for them. We know that they are at greater risk. We pray that you would protect them. We pray that you would give them hope and joy through Jesus Christ. Father, they're aware of the weakness of their body. I pray that they would long for the resurrection. They would long for eternal hope. Give us wisdom and how to love them and serve them during this time. God, we pray for our city and our state officials as they're making decisions on what to close and what not to close and how best to slow down the spread of this virus. Father, all of these decisions have implications that are far more reaching than probably any of us are aware of. 
economic implications, single parent households. If their school gets canceled, what's going to happen with those kids? And many times those kids are going to go with grandparents and the grandparents are more susceptible and there's all kinds of things to work through and to think through. And we don't know, but you do. So we ask that you would give our city and our state officials wisdom. Bring the right people with the right opinions into their life, into their inner circle. Father, we pray for our healthcare workers already stressed out from a heavy flu season, already working long hours, already dealing with sickness themselves. And uh, as of right now, they probably couldn't deal with hundreds or thousands of cases in our city. And so that's, that's a stressful situation. We ask that you would give them wisdom, give them manufacturers of everything that they need, from masks to um, whatever, all the stuff that they need, that you would give them wisdom, that you would get the, the right things here at the right time, that you would help our healthcare work, workers have hope, that you'd even lead them to the hope that's found in Jesus. Keep them safe. Keep them protected. Father, we pray for our neighbors, the elderly who are sitting inside, probably watching the news on repeat, worried. God, we ask that you would bring people into their life that could cut through the noise and share the gospel with them. Bring hope, bring peace, bring certainty. Also keep them protected. Those who are infected, I pray that you would bring Christians into their life that could minister to them, that could bring food to them, that could help them, walk with them, be just a relationship with them and share hope. Father, we pray for the small business owners in our community. As everybody stays home and stops buying, stops going to restaurants, there's many, thousands in our city who will not have a paycheck in the coming weeks. How will they pay their bills? Father, that's concerning that you give wisdom to all involved. Would you bring those into our path that we can help, that we can, where we can meet needs, where the church can be the hope of the world, where we can be light and salt in the world that you've called us to do. In many ways, Father, you've been preparing your church for a time such as this. May this pandemic bring a global revival, a global turning back to you. Father, would you give our president and government officials wisdom beyond human wisdom? Would you give them a sense of your hand leading and guiding them? Father, we're reminded in the scriptures that you say the heart of the king is like, a, it's like his, his heart is in your hand, that it's, it can be directed wherever you would want it to go. We believe you're sovereign. Would you direct the heart and the mind of our president, our vice president, our government officials? Give them supernatural wisdom and guidance.
other parents in this room and parents in our city. Help us navigate. Help us trust. Help us have hope. Help us use wisdom. Father, let Christians shine like the sun during this season. Let us not walk with swagger or bravado, but we know who holds tomorrow. We know who's sitting on the throne. We know who's in the control room of the universe, and we fear no evil. Your rod and your staff comfort us and will lead us through the valley of the shadow of death. We pray for our country. We pray for our world. We pray that you would be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen.